Hi, I'm Sumita Sharma. I'm the head of uh, Transmission Networks at Aurelian. All the data, wherever it is generated, it will have to come on the transmission network. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Hi, Samita. Thanks so much for being on my podcast. Thank you for having me, Catherine. Yeah, so this is going to be a, a good conversation. We'll be talking a little bit about some changes that Telia Carrier has undergone and also about optical transmission networks. But as you know, and my listeners hopefully know at this point, I have to start by asking you, what's an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? That's a great question, Catherine. And, and I think especially because I think we women don't give enough credit to ourselves, you know. So this question really got me thinking as to what, how can I answer this question? And I think for me, empowerment for me has been shaped not just by one incident, but rather my whole entire career journey and the choices I've made on that journey, you know, starting from my decision to join telecommunications uh, sector in India, which is highly male dominated. You know, in meetings, I would find myself to be the only woman in the room, you know, trying to confidently voice my opinions, which, of course, I mean, made my uh, (laughs) colleagues quite uncomfortable. You know, later when I moved to London, I expected that things would get easier. And to be honest, on the face of it, they were. But I think in London, I mean, it added another layer of complexity wherein I was not the only woman, but I was also the only woman of color. So, you know, sometimes people didn't know how to handle that. And sometimes there were times when people take took the liberty to talk over you or, you know, not acknowledge my presence or avoid eye contact or or in some situations be overly patronizing as well, you know. So for me, I think empowerment boils down to having the self-confidence, the self-belief in in my knowledge, in my skill, and knowing how to deal with such situations in, in a calm way, you know. Of course, I've been very fortunate enough to have some great mentors, both men and women, and uh, you know, they've made the journey really enriching for me and uh, helped me navigate through some of these challenges. And I do hope in some way I can create that uh, environment for my female colleagues as well and, you know, have a positive impact to their journeys as well. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. I think something really important that you said was that when you went to London, you thought it would get easier. And I, I the reason that stuck out to me um, is because I'm American. I was born and raised here. And I think it's easy to feel superior sometimes, like about, you know, European culture or American culture. Like, oh, we, we're more progressive when it comes yeah. to, to gender relations. And 
I I don't think that's I think it's different, of course, different, different. But, yeah. But I don't think that that is a fair assessment of either mm-hmm. culture. So um, I think that's really important what you pointed out there, that we can kind of get tricked into thinking that, you know, some places, some cultures, some, some countries have have this problem solved <laughs> of gender yeah. inequality. And the truth is, is like, unfortunately, no one really does. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. Okay. I know you told me how the company is pronounced, but I'm totally, I already forgot. So let's talk about how Telia Carrier is now. Aurelian. Aurelian. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. So what can you tell me about this change other than the name itself and the reasons behind it? Like what is staying the same? And what's going to be different for the company? Yeah. So let me start by telling you what Telia Carrier is or was, you know. So Telia Carrier was founded by a part of a Nordic operator, Telia Company. So, you know, we were, the the base of our company came through at the crazy dot-com era of around late 90s, early 2000s, when most of the fiber was getting laid. And it's, it's really interesting that we still use that fiber. So last year in uh, June, Telia Carrier was acquired by a Swedish investment company, Polham Infra. And obviously following from that separation, Telia Company, uh, from Telia Company, we were rebranded as Aurelian a few weeks back. So it's quite a new change. And uh, I mean, I am also getting used to the name Aurelian. But I think in terms of operational standpoint, it's business as usual, you know. But I mean, of course, one thing I would say that as a standalone company with a new owner, I think I, uh, I think our journey to expand our network, including the build-outs in some key regions, will only accelerate as the efforts are a lot more focused because we are no longer a part of a, a small part of a big company, but we are a standalone company committed to growth and you know uh, interested in giving, getting returns to our investors. And I think we are very well positioned to do that because although being a small company of around you know, 500 people. We are responsible for building 65% of the global internet routes across uh, Europe, uh, North America, and Asia. So there's a pretty good chance that even this podcast traffic is traveling over the Aurelian network, I think, without touching some part of it. Uh, Another reason I think uh, we can achieve such a scale with so few people is that we are truly global. When I say truly global is that you hear of companies being, you know, global presence, having global presence, and then everyone goes and just works in their own individual regions. But for us, I think because we are a small organization, on a day-to-day basis, we work cross-functionally across different regions on a day-to-day basis. For example, all my team is outside of the UK. So I have to, you know, talk to them daily. So there's a geographical, cultural diversity in, in many ways. And I think that makes us really special. And, you know, a really interesting quote that I heard was, uh, as, as travel makes us humble, I think diversity makes us brighter and smarter, you know, because you're disrupting the conformity. I think it, 
produces good decision making. So I think that is our asset. Yeah, absolutely. That's an um, interesting distinction you made about different ways to be global. And, you know, the company name is not that hard to say. It's just as an English native speaker, it's literally spelled like two English words put together, but then they're both pronounced differently because it's spelled our lion. Our lions, <laughs> yeah. Say, but it's not, it's not a bad, it's actually a cool name. It's just spelled not like <laughs> um, okay, great. So let's start with the basics. What is the optical uh transmission network? I know you talked about it a little bit, but tell me more specifically about what it is and did the increase in traffic resulting from the pandemic impact this network at all? I would assume that it did. So, so what did that look like? Okay, so, so, so in simple terms, optical network is a set of devices connected using optical fiber. Now you might ask, what is optical fiber? So optical fiber is, is thin glass cylinders which carry signals in the form of light. So we are basically transmitting uh, a signal which is which is converted into light and then uh, transported through these cylinders and that is why uh, you know optical transmission network is the fastest communication networks and uh, you know in the past two years it, it's been so turbulent in more than one ways with covid being around you know everyone starting to go into lockdowns everyone working from home you know study from home do everything from home so the bandwidth demand on our network shot up dramatically you know uh, peak usage traffic would normally you know on pre covid times it would start in the afternoon when people came back from home. But when in COVID times, it would start 9 a.m. in the morning when everyone logged in and it was it was so much of traffic and it was hard to really see that scale uh, of. So if I'm talking about the scale of growth, I mean, uh, in bandwidth demand perspective, we saw a full year's growth in the first three weeks of pandemic. It was so much. I mean, we are talking about so much growth. But one good thing was because everyone was locked in and there were no roadworks happening, no excavations happening, there was less fiber cuts as well. So that could really, otherwise it would have been really difficult to manage that kind of traffic with a fiber cut. So obviously that helped as well. And, you know, uh, we we might be coming out of these times with opening up traffic, but I don't think traffic is, is going back to the pre-COVID times. It continues to grow. The optical, the volume of the optical market, it is currently, you know, uh, uh, valued at around 25 billion. And there are projections that it will reach to around 55 billion in the next four years. So that's the kind of scale we are talking about. And that's all generates, if you think about what is the amount of data that was generated from a smartphone, say four years back, if you see that there's almost a five fold increase in 
in the data being generated by smartphones and with 5G taking off and you know all these things really coming on, I think this is only going to expand because ultimately all the data, wherever it is generated, it will have to come on the transmission network for going from one place to another. So I think it's just going to grow from here on. Yeah. um, So you already started kind of talking about the future and what to expect. And actually, I would say the rest of my questions are kind of forward looking as well. So that's a good transition. I'm I'm familiar that you're of the opinion that it's important that more direct fiber routes are created across the world. And I can sort of understand, you know, simply why why that may be, but it's probably better to have you explain it. So why are more direct routes important, but also what goes into developing these more direct routes? Like how do we get to that point? I think the best way to answer this question is to first understand what today's businesses care for and what are they most sensitive to while they are transporting their data services. So I think the first one, first and foremost, is they care about the reach, right? As there are enterprises are generating more and more traffic, we need to pick up that traffic from remote locations and transporting them, connecting their different offices across the world. So one needs a network which is not just wide in terms of covering continents, but also deep within a metro, right, to be able to pick up that traffic from from those locations. The second one I would say is I think what is really important to to businesses is diversity. Why diversity is really important? Because today businesses can't afford to be disconnected, even for a millisecond. So they choose to build diverse route because you can't control the fiber cuts. The fiber cuts will happen. There will be, you know, digging going on. There will be things like that you will not have control over. So how you can protect yourself from that is having multiple routes connecting your network. So I think diversity is quite important. I mean, I read somewhere, one of the investment banks stated that every millisecond lost is around 100 million per annum lost opportunity for them. So it is so much at stake that I think that's the reason it is having connectivity in a diverse way is is most important. And I think the last one, which is really important, is having the reach, the diversity in the most cost-effective way. Right. You can't, I mean, go on other days where you would just do truck rolls of, of, of capacity by adding, you know, uh, equipment here, equipment there. Right. I mean, you can't do that anymore. You have to be cost effective with what you're building. And uh, for example, I mean, these days when my my team receives a traffic forecast, we study the traffic flows we understand where the traffic is originating, where the traffic is, is terminating. And then according to that, build routes, which are which will be most cost effective. So that might result in building a tiered network. You know, you can have super highways where traffic is only going from point A and B, or and together with building a regional network where we are picking up traffic on the way. So I think all these things result in more routes, more direct routes, and that's that's what is needed these days. 
And now for my last question, I know that you already talked about how you don't think that traffic will ever go back to pre-pandemic level, um, which I think I agree with. I think most of the industry agrees with, but I wanted to ask you what else you're keeping your eye on when it comes to the optical network space. Like what trends is the company sort of paying attention to? So we are focusing our efforts on expanding our footprint of the open disaggregated optical networks. So if you talk, look at the optical networks and how they've you know uh, developed over the past years, traditionally, end-to-end optical networks were always very closed in, locked proprietary systems that were difficult to evolve. You know, you would tend to be stuck with one vendor with whom you would deploy your line system. And then you kind of forced to buy the client cards to fill up that line system as well. But thankfully, that's not the case anymore. Today, you have the freedom to mix and match your optical components and use the best of the technologies that is best suited for your network. So we are quite committed to having a disaggregated open optical system. And we've already seen benefits of having uh, of, of not being locked in with a vendor. You know, we can accommodate different technologies, both at platform and component levels, which means, uh, you know, scalability and new technological adaptations are quicker and easier. So taking that disaggregated optical networks will then help us to the next step of simplification, wherein we start to bring the IP and the transmission layers closer together by the use of the 400GZR coherent pluggables. So we start to collapse the IP and the transmission layers, and this will help us to eliminate the back-to-back transponders that is currently needed. So one on... So what we put uh, pluggables on the IP network, then we put pluggables on the transmission network, we get we move away from that. So what we start to do is, you know, directly have IP routers directly have these pluggables go into the optical line filters. So of course, that's going to be difficult. You know, it puts a demand on staff because, I mean, staff is uh, traditionally, I mean, there will be really siloed. So optical people will just know optical transmission and IP guys will only know IP. But I think that silos are slowly coming together and there is a need to cross train and there is need to, you know, have the knowledge which is more broad in that sense. I think it is quite interesting for people as well. And obviously from the network's perspective, it it is a lot of advantage to start collapsing these layers. But I think it will take some time to, to, to create that skill set, to create that culture, to create the processes in the organization to adapt this change. So saying that, we are totally committed to this transition and Aurelian was, in fact, one of the first ones to validate the 400G ZRs across multiple switch routers on top of an open line system. So we're quite excited to see that rolled out across the network. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been really great. 
Thank you. It was it was interesting. Thank you. Well, technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com.